and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Katrina Collier, facilitator, mentor, author, speaker, podcast host, all around HR influencer. Katrina, thanks so much for jumping on with me today. Thank you so much for having me here, Sherry. So you have this amazing background in the recruiting space, and I'd like <laughs> to start with talking a little bit about what we're seeing right now in recruiting during this great resignation phase, and you know, what do you think some of the biggest challenges are? Yeah. Is it the great resignation? Is it the great reassessment? I don't know. There are lots of greats before it, aren't there? I mean, certainly it, we are definitely making up for the fact that we, you know, too many people, whether you downsized, overfired, whatever you did as a company in 2020, we're now trying to make up for it in 21 into 2022. And it's like a catch up game. And then you've got the people that have reassessed. So it's, it is a, a, there's lots of people sitting there going, whoa, I've had a life reassessment. <laughs> and it's, so it is really fascinating time. Um, the biggest things I'm seeing is companies still being unrealistic. You know, like, well, our staff have been working at home. They've been incredibly productive and we've done better as, you know, the best results we've had for ages. But you know what? Everyone's coming back into the office. <laughs> right. And people are like, yeah, no. No, I'm not coming back full-time into the office. However, people don't necessarily want full-time remote either. Like, you know, they just want something. They want, they want to work how they want to work. And I think that's the biggest challenge I'm seeing is these companies who are like in denial as to what's going on. So potentially, you know, they've got a, recruiters, whether they're external or internal, who are advising them and saying, this is what's going on. You know, I, I had a friend telling me yesterday, just a regular marketer, she is getting approached three times a day. Wow. And she goes, what is going on? Like, what is going on? So it used to be that was just in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, maths, they were all being hit up constantly. No, now it's everybody. It's being hit up all the time over jobs. So it's, it's crazy out there. And if companies are slow, if they're stuck in their process, they are insisting on people come back to work, they're just being inflexible full stop. They're going to really, really suffer. You hit the nail on the head with flexibility. People want flexibility in different ways than we've kind of experienced before. You know, flexibility used to mean like, can I work remote one day a week? That's not going to cut it anymore. No. And now it's like, well, actually, I want to work from 6 a.m. to whatever time because I'm a carer or, I, you know, I've got kids or whatever. And I'll get my hours done when I want to get my hours done. So it's more than even just I'll go into the office a couple of days a week. And the rest of the time I'm at home, it's really like, I want to work when it suits me. Yeah. So I, I've, I've been working that way for years because I work for myself and I, I work Sundays. I love working on Sundays. Nobody's around. It's dead quiet. I get so much work done. And then I kind of don't really work on a Friday. So it's, it's I sh sort of shuffled, shuffled everything around because it suits me to do that and I can. And this is what people have realised they can do because they're like, well, as long as the output is there, it doesn't, I don't need to be present. And this is just oh so hard for so many companies. I completely agree. Um, I want to mm. switch topics a little bit. You wrote a book called mm -hmm. The Robot Proof Recruiter, a survival guide for recruiting and sourcing professionals. <laughs> um, and it talks about how recruiters need to continue to learn 
um, to lean into the human side and not replace everything yeah. they do with AR data. So I'm curious, yeah. how do you see the future of AI supporting human interaction mm. recruiters need to have with candidates? Yeah. So when I was asked to write, that was 2018. Kogan Page actually came to me and asked me if I'd like to write a book, which I still find mind blowing because um, that just doesn't happen very often. And it was right around the time that there were a lot of technology providers saying, you know, robots are going to replace recruiters. So that's where it all came from. So, and a lot of people think I'm anti-tech. Now I'm not anti-tech. I'm anti how recruiters use it. So I see a lot of spam going into people's inboxes through automatic robots and, and things like that. And it's like, that's where I have a problem. But when the AI is really supporting the candidate experience and it's really helping the human to have clarity and certainty and the transparency of the recruitment process and really push them through the process, then I don't have such a problem. So I like seeing it used there. I don't like seeing it used in video interviews and stuff like that because I still think that people created it with a bit of bias in it. So, you know, we've heard the horror stories already. Um, but I like seeing it when it's supporting. So it's, it's creating more time. And I always say to anybody who's buying any form of HR recruitment technology, ask your peers what they use. Do not buy technology that was made by a developer who was having a bad recruitment experience. So they thought, oh, I'll create some tech and actually they've never recruited. So you, you want people who've actually, you know, either recruiters who've made it or, or certainly had recruitment input and is it going to save you time and money and hassle? And that's for everybody, the recruiter, the hiring manager, and of course the candidate. So, but I, I, I'm sure there'll be more of it in the future, but as long as it makes the process better for the candidate, I don't really care. I'm sure there <laughs> absolutely will be. You know, I, I it's interesting you mentioned the spam thing. I can't tell you how many times you know, on LinkedIn, you get a new connection and you're like, oh, this person looks pretty interesting. And they're, they're reaching out for something really specific. So you connect. And then the very next moment you get this very automated in mail and you're just like, yeah. Ugh, what a waste of time. You know, like I, know. I, I want a real connection, not a sales connection. I know. And sometimes you sort of look at it and go, that's really obvious to ignore. So I, I kind of get the helping female entrepreneurs get, you know, get through overwhelm. It's like, I'm not overwhelmed. Go away. Like ignore, you know, and other times you're like, oh, they look interesting. And you think, okay. And exactly what you say. Um, but obviously a lot of salespeople do that as well as just, you know, recruiters doing it, but it's, it's the worst. And it is like the number one complaint is receiving these messages or calls that are irrelevant to the skill set because someone hasn't taken the time to look at profiles. So I'd love to see less of that. Oh, that's so true. I get hit up for a lot of things that are not jobs I would even consider. I mean, I love my job, so I'm not considering anything anyways, but it's funny the things that make it to you though. And yeah. you know, you're absolutely right. Like you've missed the whole point in, in making the connection with the human being. Um, absolutely. Speaking of profiles, we had a little <laughs> bit of a chat about this, you know, offline, yes. but let's talk about resumes. Do you think it's recruiters <laughs> responsibility to help candidates write better resumes or you know, who should be teaching people now? I mean, it's not like you take a class in, you know, school, elementary school or high school, or you're not being taught this. How do we help people yeah. learn this skill set? It is ridiculous. It's not being taught at school. I think my parents taught me, or I think I learned at school. However, it doesn't mean it was a great document. <laughs> I then was taught by a recruiter and I'll give you the two words he taught me in a second. But if you have a look at most recruiters profiles, they're dreadful. Like recruiters can't write their own resumes and they look at them day in and day out. I feel sorry for people who don't recruit, who are trying to write this document that's trying to sell themselves 
and and they don't know where to go. And then some of the advice is so bad. But I have one tip for anyone. So what? So you read your bullet point. You know, I came on a podcast with Sherry. So what? Which meant that we had a fantastic conversation. We were able to help other people with their resumes, whatever. You get the benefit and the achievement. Everyone leaves that off. So number one thing, and if every recruiter hearing this, then passes it on to every job seeker, that would really help. And I got that from Ray Murphy. I have to give him credit. He told me that about 17 years ago. Um, It's, but whose responsibility? If I had a resume in front of me and I gave someone the benefit of the doubt and called them and found out they were great for the role, I would be advising them to fix it before it got to the hiring manager or the hiring manager could dismiss it. If the recruiter and the hiring manager have a fantastic relationship and they trust each other, then you could go just ignore the CV. It's bad. Interview them. Sorry, resume. I know what country I'm talking to. Um, <laughs> I have these two different languages going on, CV one and the resume one. But it, it's that then goes back to the trust between the two. Do you want to rely on that or would you just rather get the resume fixed, which will only help the candidate down the line anyway in other places. So I don't think a few tips hurt, but they're very hard documents to write for everybody. And we are still recruiting on that basis. And that's where AI is never going to fix recruitment because nobody can write their resume. Well, actually, sorry, maybe a couple of people could write their resume. Most people can't. I think it's such a good point. The so what? (laughs) If you can think about that Mm -hmm. and implementing that into what you're writing. I'm now in my head thinking about my own LinkedIn profile. And I'm like, do I have? My so Should we what? open it? No. <laughs> let's not let's not do that right now. Maybe before not, this episode. But it, it is that thing. It's like it's like, you know, I, I, I helped Sherry with her resume. So what? Which meant that she got an interview and now she's earning six figures. Like, whoa. Yeah. If you just do help Sherry with her resume, it's like, well, so what? Like, who cares? I don't care. And it's that's why those two words are so amazing. So you so, talked a little But I have bit. to give the credit to Ray Murphy. It is not my tip. <laughs> Well, it was really good advice for him to pass along to you, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, you talked a little bit about having a good relationship with a hiring manager. And I think Mm. that I've seen in my career that there seems to be a difference between agency or staffing recruiters, external recruiters, and in-house recruiters feeling like they have this competition and kind of gatekeeping (laughs) access to to managers. Have you seen that as you've you've worked with recruiters? Yeah. Silly, isn't it? Um, it depends which side I'm talking to as to what I say, really. But if I'm talking to staffing right now, this is the market for them to set the rules. Because as I mentioned, we owe, I'm not allowed to say overfired because apparently it sounds flippant, but we overfired in 2020 and we're now trying to overhire, right? So it's, we've gone from one extreme to the other. So if there was ever a market for staffing to set the rules with their client, this is it. And I don't mean set them by ridiculous fees. I mean, like, we are going to partner properly on this role. You're going to give me access to the hiring manager or I'm not working on it because I need to know what's under the skin of the job requirement, like all that stuff they never say. And, and it's the same for talent acquisition or in-house recruitment. They should be having that same relationship. But when you start pushing people further and further and further away from the hiring manager, all you're going to do is throw resumes at them and hope they stick and have more interviews than you need to and more people's times wasted. It's just, it's crazy. Um, but the it's interesting. I, I see less of the, the in-house recruitment staffing. So if in-house recruiters are dealing with, with staffing, they tend to treat them fairly well. I find it's HR that tends to be worse. They tend to be the ones really pushing them a long way away. And it's just like, that's just, it, 
it's not going to help anybody. Um, I personally think if you're going to work with an external agency, work with one or two and keep them really, really close, make them earn their money by letting them in. The greatest success I had when I was on that side was when I was walking the floors, sitting in on interviews, understanding the team dynamic. And then I knew whoever I sent over would match the team and would be a great fit. And I knew all the projects that were going on. I knew other stuff, not just that, you know, the job description, which is usually, you know, pulled out of a drawer from three years ago and, you know, it needs some work. So <laughs> that's, that's my main problem. But in this market, either side, their biggest problem needs to be partnering with the hiring manager. That, that's the, uh, having a proper intake strategy session and getting under the skin of the role. That's the most important thing in this market, wherever you sit. I think you're absolutely so. right because it goes back to what candidates are looking for right now in that flexibility. Mm -hmm. And if you don't really know the role or the culture or how that manager works, or like you said, the other projects going on, I think that was a yeah. really interesting nugget because, um, you know, I've been recruiting before and didn't have all that information. Then you bring somebody in the role and they're like, Hey, you didn't tell me that this was happening. That might've been more interesting or you didn't tell me it was happening. And I definitely don't want to be a part of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So I really like that point. You know, as businesses think about structuring their internal recruiting departments, how can they mm. minimize or eliminate this kind of competitive ideology that they have? Oh, education. Um, <laughs> It, it really depends because it depends where the company is in their stage of growth. Um, a lot of companies now, so if they've got an internal talent, so I'm thinking of one, uh, someone I've just quoted in the book actually, is it Sky Betting and Gaming? They're of a certain size company where they, ha they have enough people to work on the number of roles. It's not a ridiculous number. They can take time out. Um, so they go incognito and have sourcing jams and, you know, go and find people where actually the agencies aren't supplying them. They're still partnering with some agencies, but actually they're not able to supply the people because actually sometimes the internal recruiters are better sources than on the agency side. It's all quite fascinating. Um, so it, sometimes it just comes down to the size. It, it, the bigger the company, then it comes back to, is the company going to have faith in that team? So. I'm doing a piece of work next week in Berlin and it was so lovely calling to talking to this director of TA. He's a client of old. So, and he said to me, Oh, I get headhunted all the time. And it's always like, Oh yes, you know, we're a venture capital backed company and we're going into hyper growth and rah, rah, rah. And he rolls his eyes, uh, which I'm doing, but the podcast isn't showing. And, um, but this company said two things to him that got his attention. One was we don't have values. We have behaviors which is quite different and quite easy to implement when you think about it. Wouldn't you rather know I need to have this behavior than at this value? How do I do that? Value? Yeah. So we love that. But the other thing was the leaders said, how can we make TA the best function in the company? How cool and in other that? words, they're going to fund them. They're going to train them. They're going to give them the tech they need. They They understand they're the people that bring in the people. Now they may still have to partner with the agencies on some roles, of course, because, you know, if it's a niche role, they still have to, but it's that, it's more really that side that needs to be in place. Um, but it is, it is strange that you do get that friction when a lot of the internal recruiters do come from outside. And maybe that's why it happens. They feel like payback or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I just think in this market, I think everyone's going to start sorting themselves out because it's just so tough. I mean, I've not seen anything like it in 19 years. Yeah, it, so. it's definitely an uncharted territory. 
Um, yeah. To wrap up our discussion, you know, how do you mm. see the role of the recruiter changing? You know, I would say five years, but like nobody's planning five years from now. So like the next yeah. 18 months, how do you see recruiting changing the next 18 months? Yeah, in, in March 2015, an interview, where do you see yourself in right. five years? Well, I'm going to be locked down in London. And, no. um, <laughs> so, well, actually, I'm just um, polishing off the second edition of the Robot Proof Recruiter, which will be out in August. And, and fundamentally, recruitment hasn't changed. But what's happened with talent acquisitions, so this internal function that's growing, one, it needs to get out of HR. So it needs to be its own function. I'm sorry, HR. Um, but it does because it plugs into HR and marketing and into sales and into workforce planning. And then you get little bits that start uh, getting created from talent acquisition, like talent intelligence, for example, which is a growing area. So Toby Coleshaw, for example, you know, this has managed to save his company millions because of talent intelligence and you go wow this is fascinating so there's it's becoming bigger and more interesting function but it's still a new function so it's still a bit confusing for companies but I see it coming into its own right that that definitely I see cha uh, will change in the next five years um, or I do hope so uh, because the companies that really understand oh my gosh we're made of people and the people make us <laughs> successful like and start going actually, you know what, we're not, we're going to stop looking at recruitment and HR as cost centers, and we're going to fund them properly and train them properly and build them up. They're going to succeed because the world's changing. We have gone from be grateful you have a job to, oh my goodness, thank goodness I've got employees. And that change has happened in 20 years. It, it's, it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's not the 30 I've been working. It's definitely 20s. When the internet started having deep impact was when the real shift started changing. And that's why I see just recruitment becoming this force. If they start sitting up and partnering and just taking ownership, that's what I see happening in-house. I don't know what's going to happen to staffing. They're always going to be there. We're always going to need staffing recruiters. And none of them are going to disappear because the product is a human being and they're just too complicated. And the other reason I say that actually uh, when I was working in the bank, they started, you know, getting rid of tellers and putting in the automatic teller machines. I'm going back for 30 years. <laughs> and um, there are still tellers in the bank. There are some banks that have brought them back. I think you call them cashiers, don't you? But the, the staff and the, where you do your transaction with your money, because people don't necessarily want to use a machine just for that mundane transaction. So they're never going to want to use a machine for their career. So I definitely don't see the robots taking over, but I see talent acquisition coming into its own. That was a very long-winded answer, but I'm very good at those. <laughs> I think it's really exciting. I think it's cool to hear your perspective on TA and how it's going to evolve in organizations. And, you know, we're very fortunate in our organization. TA falls underneath HR, the umbrella, but it is its own separate function. We have TA, yeah. learning and development, and then HR, kind of our pillars underneath HR. And it has created the synergy you talked about because they have yeah. their own initiatives. They're bringing their own information. They're giving their own suggestions. Yeah. Um, and it's just been really cool to work in an organization like that. So I'm excited to see. It doesn't happen everywhere. No, so doesn't. I'm really glad to hear that because I hear this. I mean, you talk about the external you know, agency to in-house. I hear it from HR to TA. Yeah. And you're just going, oh my gosh, you know, one lot bring them in and one lot look after them. Let's not overcomplicate it here. So yeah, I'm so, it's so lovely to hear that about your own company. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me. Thank you. 
This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.